You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. So we are in 2 Samuel chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now notice this. After this, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? And the Lord said to him, go up. David said, to which shall I go up? And he said, to Hebron. So David went up there and his two wives also, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David brought up his men who were with him, everyone with his household, and they lived in the towns of Hebron. And the men of Judah came, and there they anointed David, king over the house of Judah. When they told David it was the men of Jabesh-Gilead who buried Saul, David sent messengers to the men of Jabesh-Gilead and said to them, May you be blessed by the Lord, because you showed this loyalty to Saul, your Lord, and buried him. Now may the Lord show steadfast love and faithfulness to you, and I will do good to you because you have done this thing. Now, therefore, let your hands be strong and be valiant, for Saul, your Lord, is dead, and the house of Judah has anointed me king over them. Let's pray. Lord, this passage of Scripture, we would read it and skip over it many times in our daily Bible reading. But today, God, what seems to be just a few uh, mentions of historical importance, I pray, God, that you will help us to see that Really, the whole gospel hinges on this passage in more ways than one. And God, I pray that you will help us to understand that our witness today uh, is a big deal. What we do today matters. And God, what we do today will matter most if our hearts are in sync with yours. And we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. For a few moments this morning, we want to ask the question, who is the king of your heart? The question that we're asking here is really one of pursuit. Are you actively pursuing God with your life? If you're not, it will not take long for trouble to catch up with you. In fact, the moment we stop pursuing God, our sins catch up with us. Now, it's, it's not just about forward momentum, although that's so important. We need to always be seeking God, but realize when you are in neutral, you're losing ground because the enemy's gaining ground. If Jesus isn't the king of your heart, if you're not moving forward with him every day, then trouble is truly on the way. Not too many years ago, I was sitting in line, standing in line actually at Disney World, which is basically what you, you pay thousands of dollars to do, which is to stand in line. And I was reading on the wall at Splash Mountain, this little bit of wisdom. You can't run from trouble. Ain't no place that far. You can't run from trouble. Ain't no place that far. Now, friends, I want to tell you, but you can run to Jesus Now, when you come to this passage of scripture today, we are focused on David, but it's important for us to look back for just a moment at Saul, because all the things that we see in David's heart in chapter two that are right are very much antithetical to what was going on in Saul's heart. Saul had some things going wrong in his life, and we know that. But Saul at one point was walking in the direction of God, it would seem. 
But when he stopped seeking the Lord, all the troubles caught up with him and thus disaster came to him, to his family, and to his nation. This is the lesson for us to learn today. Pursuing God is not an option. It's an absolute. Saul teaches us that when we stop, when we, when we decide to coast in our faith, that is when we are in big trouble. Saul had stopped his ears, plugged up his ears so that he couldn't hear the word of the Lord anymore. And when times got desperate, he became desperate, so desperate that at the end of 1 Samuel, he will go to a witch to hear what his next step should be. He goes to the dark arts instead of turning to the light. That's how far he fell. The life of David shows us how it is possible for us to pursue God, how it is possible for us to pursue his will and not our own. Saul, on the other hand, continually shows us what happens when we pursue the desires of our own heart, the desire for power, the desire for a kingdom on this earth. Friends, David shows us a better way. Clearly, the Lord was the king of his heart. And clearly, what we need to make sure of is that the Lord is the king of our hearts as well. We are all in different places as it relates to spiritual growth. This is true. But one thing we do all share, and I want you to catch this. One thing that we all share is we all share wicked hearts. We all have wicked hearts. And if we're not careful, those wicked hearts will take over. We need to have complete faith in Christ, though. If Christ is your Savior, have complete faith in him because he alone is going to be able to carry you forward. There will be days when your flesh will try to stop you, but in the spirit, we can always move forward. Our passage for today provides a roadmap, I think, to spiritual growth and maturity and success. And I think we have three diagnostic questions that we can ask that come from the text that will help us in our pursuit of Jesus to make sure that he is the king of our heart. The first question is this. Does your heart seek a word from the Lord? As I was studying this this week, I realized that this is basically the first point that Luke had last week too. So clearly the Lord is trying to tell us something. That we need to seek a word from the Lord. We need to take God's word seriously and allow that word to sink deep into our hearts. Saul and Jonathan's death had devastated David. If you'll take a look at our text, notice those first two words in verse one, after this. Well, the after this, what it's referring to is Saul and Jonathan's demise. The, the words right before this in chapter one are the record, the lament that David gave for Saul and Jonathan. He knew that the primary cause of their downfall was a spiritual thing. In other words, it wasn't about politics and it wasn't about power. It was because Saul in particular had walked away from God, had not listened to the word of the Lord. Now look at verse one again. Notice how David takes a different course. We are told that he chose to inquire of the Lord. Now, that's a, that's a little phrase. It doesn't seem like much, but it's such a contrast to where Saul had been. Saul, just chapters before, if you connect 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, like they probably were in the original, you would be thinking, he just told us, Samuel just told us that, that Saul had gone to a witch. And here, the witch of Endor, here we have David inquiring of the Lord. Now, 
before we get on to Saul too much, realize this, Saul did a terrible thing. But really, that's just an extreme example of what many of us do when it comes to crisis. Many times when we are faced with a difficulty, we engage this before we engage this. We think that our minds are the way out of the problem, the way forward, when God's word is continually exhorting us to reach up to him in prayer before we reach out in any action. So many of our actions, even as Christians, aren't that effective because they're not bathed in prayer, nor are they guided by the word of the Lord. David knows he must inquire of the Lord if he will be successful. Now, you might be saying to yourself, well, sure, pastor, um, that, that works just fine. Maybe for you as a pastor that, you know, if you're trying to figure out something to do with the church, obviously you're going to go to the word of God and let the word of God guide you. But why would that be any different for you? Your, your, your situations need the guidance of, of the word. You need to inquire of the Lord. You say, well, my situations are just way too complicated. There isn't a simple answer in God's word. Well, let me tell you, David might argue with you a little bit because his situation was pretty doggone complicated. He had the Philistines still knocking on the door. He had civil war within his borders because Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, was raising up another army of rebellion. It was a difficult time. He had all kinds of things that could go wrong. And instead of trying to think his way out, he prayed his way out. He sought God. Our minds are always a secondary concern. The mind of God must be our primary concern, brothers and sisters in Christ. We must know the mind of God, and that is why we have the word of God. We inquire of God, uh, of God through prayer, and he answers so often through his word. He speaks. He gives us what we need. Saul, Saul's right-hand man, Abner, is out there. He's stirring up trouble. He's causing a civil war. And David knows that he has to do everything God's way, specifically if he's going to be successful. So notice in verse one, he says, shall I go up into any of the cities of Judah? Now, pretty specific because he's saying, should I go to this certain region? And the Lord said to him, go up. David asks again, to which shall I go up? And he said, the Lord said, to Hebron. Now notice the process there. David doesn't get the, the full answer right away, but he knows to ask the right question. So he engages this, okay? He engages this. He knows which questions to ask, but he keeps asking of the Lord until he gets the specific answer. He is tenacious in his prayer life here, even though it's just a verse or two. It's so important for us to see that this is a man who sought a word from the Lord and he wanted to know exactly what God wanted for his life. We have a picture here of a man who can think for himself, but he is more keen in humbling himself before God first. Don't just think for yourself. I know that's a, I know that's a virtue in our culture to be independent and thinking for yourself. I know that we celebrate those original thinkers, but listen, the church doesn't need a bunch of original thinking. It just needs to get back to the original words of God. He has a better word for us. 
He has all that we need. We need to ask of the Lord. We need to be serious about prayer. We need to be with our brothers and sisters in prayer. Listen, one of the great casualties of the age of COVID is not only are we not coming together to worship on a regular basis, but we're not praying together as often as we ought to. We need to seek the Lord together. And it takes great humility for a human being to put their thoughts second. Our mortal minds always want first chair, but the wise person is always saying, I am second and God is first. Our hearts, every single one of our hearts, we do have darkness inside, but once we've come to know Christ, that light is there and we can seek that, that light more and more. Yes, we have limitations, but understand this. When we have the word of God, we have all that we need. Don't be discouraged. Trust in the word of the Lord. But to have the word of the Lord isn't quite enough because if you have it and don't obey it, that's trouble. Now, that brings us to our second question. Do you obey when God speaks? It is not enough just to seek the word. We must be 100% willing to obey the word. And in our world today, that causes us often to push back or against the cultural paradigms. What the world is saying is normative. We're often saying, no, that's not good for us. The world looks at that and sees that we're being, you know, hard-headed or difficult. But no, the truth is we just want to be faithful and obedient to God's word. Now, in our passage today, the path that God wants David to take is a logical path. Uh, going to Hebron makes a lot of sense, and I'll explain why here in just a second. But, but here's the thing. Many times when God speaks to us, he's pushing us in what seems to be a different direction, a, a direction that we're not comfortable with. But we have to have enough faith to go wherever God leads us. Now, these verses of Scripture, if you'll notice, they mention, as David hears a word from the Lord, he hears a word about going to Hebron. Now, Hebron is one of those names that um, unless you went to Bible school or, or, you know, had some really good Sunday school teachers, you know about Jerusalem, but you don't know so much about Hebron. And the reason why is because Hebron was, was yes, a capital of David's empire early on. But when we think of David, we think about Jerusalem, right? That was a little later in his kingship. Hebron was the beginning of his kingship. Now, I want you to get this because this is so important. When we look at this passage, we miss an important moment because this is the moment when God begins to actively move history towards Jesus, toward the gospel, and toward the cross and the resurrection. David's kingship, his kingship, which begins in Hebron, is the beginning of the gospel in a lot of ways. Uh, it is the beginning of that connection between Jesus and David. David's willingness to seek the Lord and to go to Hebron, it may seem like a small thing, but this was a catalyst that led to the kingdom of God. Now, I don't know if you're catching on here, but we're seeing just a handful of verses here where a man prays, he asks God for the way to go. God gives him the way to go, and he obeys, and the world is forever changed. Think about this. What if God is speaking to your heart today? What if he is telling you something that seems minor, but could be the defining moment of your life? One scholar says that most Christian lives, most days that we live in Christ, are days that we live in the Hebron stage 
the Hebron stage. In other words, these are days when what's going on around us doesn't look like much, doesn't appear to be uh, fantastic or successful, but like a tiny seed planted in fertile soil, it has the potential to bear much fruit. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was talking about in Matthew 17, 20, when he spoke of a mustard seed of faith? Here we have it in the text. David asks God where to go. God tells him where to go. He is obedient. And then the world is never the same again. We must seek God. We must obey God. And then we must be led by the power of God. We must allow the power of God as we humbly bow before him to flow through us. Will we see the final result? See, we're very result-oriented. When we think about even church, at the end of the day, we measure success by what we can count, what we can tabulate. Uh, today, when we take the votes, success will be measured in statistical terms. We will use numbers to determine success. And in all things, we tend to use numbers to determine success. And so when we have a day when there's nothing to count, nothing to clap about, nothing to celebrate, we assume that that day was not an important day. But if today you take a step backward, if today you're not faithful to God, then friend, today you're not getting closer to the kingdom, you're getting further away. And I think many of us, we have too many of those days where we're not moving forward and the devil catches up. He will always catch up with us. What God is doing today has eternal implications. This period of time this age of COVID-19, this is our Hebron stage, church. Day after day after day where we could say nothing's happening. We haven't been able to do ministry like we're used to doing it. We can't have as many people in worship like we're used to. We're not seeing baptisms. We're not seeing uh, the kinds of growth that we had anticipated, that we longed for, that we yearned for. And one of the big mistakes we might make during this season, this Hebron stage, is to think that God isn't working and thus to stop moving forward, thus to stop praying, to stop seeking. Friends, this is the time when we must be most faithful. This is the time when we must be moving forward together, trusting in the Lord because big things are coming but it is absolutely necessary that today we remain faithful the church today how faithful this church is in the next few months as we prepare to get past this age of COVID what we do in the next few months determines our future what we do in the next few months has eternal implications this is big there are no small things when it comes to God things the prophet said that, don't despise a day of small things. It is easy, oh, hear me, church. It is easy to lament all the things that aren't right right now, the things we can't do, the things that we're limited in. But friends, this is the time for us to prepare our hearts for revival, for something big, something glorious, something from God. Just because we're in the stage of Hebron doesn't mean that we're not going to be blessed of God. Now, the final question that we have here, the final diagnostic question, as it were, is are you a peacemaker for the king of peace? Did you notice how there's this interesting 
little aside almost, this story about the men of Jabesh Gilead and what they did to bury the former king. It almost seems to be just haphazardly thrown into the chapter. Many times when we're reading the Bible, that's how we feel. We're like, where did this come from? especially in the Old Testament. Well, one of the reasons why we're like that is because you and I, when we read a story, most of the time, we like the story to have kind of a beginning, a middle, and an end. And it all flows very logically together and we can just connect it in a straight line. Well, the Hebrew people didn't like to make it that simple when they wrote. They liked to make their literature a little more complicated sometimes. And so they would throw in these little asides and these little illustrations and they would move around in the timeline. And, and sometimes that's confusing to us. But here, it's not so much that we move out of the timeline. It's just that this is kind of uh, uh, from an obtuse angle. What, what's going on here? Well, I think something very important is going on here as it relates to us understanding our relationship with God and what it means to, to give our hearts fully to God. David was a godly man and he was a wise ruler. And his very first acts as a king are recorded here. And you'll notice that what he does here is he makes some decisions that are all about peacemaking. Now, he has to go and conquer Hebron. He's got to remove the enemies from the land. This is true. But before he can get out there to conquer the world, he has to work hard at making peace in his nation. And he is living in a nation that is at civil war, at the brink of dissolution. Now, here's a great lesson for us to learn. You can't have peace without until you experience peace within. So what's going on in this text is a larger picture of, of not just kings and kingdoms, but our own hearts. David understands how important it is to get him, his heart right with his brothers and sisters there in that nation. There needs to be forgiveness and repentance and all of those things. And repentance itself, that, that act of us coming to know Christ is something where we are inwardly humbled by God and then visibly outwardly reformed. That's how Thomas Watson described it. We need to have inner peace. And this passage points the way in that direction. Now, the men of Jabesh Gilead, here's what they did. When they heard that Saul and Jonathan had been killed by the Philistines and their bodies were being um, dishonored, they said, we're not going to stand for that. This was our king. He may have had faults and failures, but he is our king. And so they valiantly went and, and rescued that, those bodies and gave those men decent burials. Now, I know that's uh, gruesome and grisly. I get it. But that's the world that we're, we're in here. This is a, a very harsh reality. But these men do an honorable thing. Now, David, keep in mind, he is in the other camp. He is not in the Sauline camp. He is not about that kingdom. He's starting a new kingdom. It would be easy for him to just say, um, you know what, those men at Jabesh Gilead, they're, they're on the other team. They're not with me. But no, here's what he does. He says, you know, those men did an honorable thing. And I'm going to celebrate their honor. And by doing so, he won their hearts. We don't know exactly uh, what these men said or how they responded, but it's pretty clear that they decided to come over to David's side. There was peace made here. And understand that was so important for David to move forward, to build a kingdom, to, to prepare the soil for the coming of the Messiah. You see, those apart from God are never eager to receive the kingdom of God. Those who do not know God's peace are easily drawn into war against God's kingdom. The world is always trying to draw us into war. 
Now let me show you something else here. I wish I had a map to show you this. But this rebellion that we are learning about here in this part of the scripture, there was a, a town called Mahanaham, which was the center, the capital of the rebellion. Ishbosheth's rebellion took place there. Jabesh Gilead was about halfway between there and Hebron. So here's the deal. These men at Jabesh Gilead were halfway between the old Saul kingdom and the new Davidic kingdom. David, by being a peacemaker, reaches up and grabs them and brings them into the fold. Now, I want you to see that picture in your mind. It's so important because I think that's where most of our neighbors are. Our neighbors who do not know Jesus are caught between. Some of them have been raised around Christianity. They know the principles of Christ. And what they're looking for is a peacemaker like you and like me. And the world is always trying to draw them into the camp of rebellion against God. But it is our job and our duty and our privilege to be peacemakers, to show them the way to the Prince of Peace. In fact, let me just bring it down to where we are here right now. There may be some of you who are caught in the middle. Your heart has been more and more lately going after the things of the world. Your focus has not been on Christ. Listen, Jesus is reaching out to you. You don't have to take another step in the wrong direction. You do not have to allow something in this world to take control of your heart. Jesus wants to be the king of your heart. He wants all of you. He wants you completely. He is here today to make peace with you. The world is always trying to make war. Let me show you a couple quick passages as we conclude here. And I pray that these will speak directly to your heart and help you to turn to Christ. If you have your copy of scripture, Psalm 2, 2 through 3. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. The world wants to draw you into war. But listen now to Ephesians chapter one, verses 19 and following. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The one who raised Christ from the grave, from the dead, is here today to draw you to himself, to give you a new hope and a new life. One more quick verse here, Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I just wonder... Is Jesus the king of your heart? If he is the king of your heart, well, then he will guard your heart and your mind. But if you've been losing that battle, perhaps what you need is to gain a savior. Come to Christ and right now make him the king of your heart. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.